welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry and social justice. Hello, this is James and welcome to the Madden America podcast. We have a special episode today which is devoted to recent developments in the UK involving the Royal College of Psychiatrists. These events relate to the media coverage of a widely reported antidepressant meta-analysis in The Lancet, information on antidepressant withdrawal effects, and a letter to the Times newspaper by the President of the Royal College, Professor Wendy Byrne, and the Chair of the Royal College's Psychopharmacology Committee, Professor David Baldwin. Professor John Reed took time out to explain recent events and to talk about a formal complaint which has been lodged with the Royal College on behalf of a group of eminent psychiatrists and psychologists. John, thank you so much for talking with me today for the Madden America podcast. Here in the UK, there's been a great deal of media interest in antidepressants recently, partly in response to a meta-analysis that was reported in The Lancet on February the 21st. I'm aware that recently there's been correspondence between yourself and colleagues and the UK Royal College of Psychiatrists in relation to information on antidepressant withdrawal, and I'd like to talk about that. But first, it would be really useful if we could set the scene in terms of what we do and what we don't know about withdrawal effects when people come off their antidepressant drugs. And you recently undertook a study of 1,829 New Zealand adults taking antidepressants. Could you tell us about that study and what the results were? Yeah, indeed. This is the largest um, direct-to-consumer survey ever conducted. Um, And we found that 27% of uh, the people in the survey described antidepressants as addictive. That's their experience. Um, whether that makes them addictive or not is, is is another matter. People quibble over what a proper definition of addiction is. But this was the first-hand experience of people actually on them. So that's interesting. 27% believe that they are addicted to the drugs. Um, more than half, 55%, reported withdrawal symptoms when they reduced or tried to stop. And 46% of those described those withdrawal symptoms as severe. Um, so that's that's one study. Um, it's the largest study. It doesn't talk about um, how long the withdrawal symptoms last for. We didn't ask that question. Uh, but we do have some studies that have answered that question. Would would it be useful to touch on those at this point? Yes, it would. Thank you. Okay. So um, one that actually hasn't um, been published yet, uh, a, a survey uh, last year by Roehampton University, they're in the process of um, writing it up. Um, but we have included this in our letter to the Royal College, which we'll come on to. This was uh, a smaller survey, um, in from 157 antidepressant users who identified themselves as experienced moderate or severe withdrawal, when they were asked, how long have you experienced withdrawal symptoms, 41% said a year or more, mm. and 18% more than three years. There are various other studies that are in the same sort of um, ballpark, but uh, I mean, it might be boring to go through lots and lots of studies. Um, there, there was one, well, ironically, which we might come back to um, until recently, on the Royal College of Psychiatry's own website, a survey of over 800 antidepressant users, and they found that 63% um, experienced withdrawal symptoms and that this generally, quote, generally lasted for up to six weeks and reported 
uh, in a quarter of people lasted more than 12 weeks. So that's the Royal College of Psychiatry's own survey, which I'll say it now, which disappeared from the Royal College's website um, two days after the president and the chair of the Psychopharmacology Committee made the false statement in the Times, which we're going to come on to. Thank you for that scene setting, John. And following the media storm about the Lancet study, yourself and colleagues, including Dr. James Davies, Dr. Joanna Moncrief and others, responded to various newspapers to sound a note of caution about the study. And those responses resulted in a reply from Wendy Byrne and David Baldwin, which was published in the Times newspaper on February the 24th. Can you tell us about that response? Because it led on to something interesting, didn't it? Yes, it did. But I'm going to back us up just just a little bit and just comment on the astonishingly naive coverage of the Lancet study by the British media. Because the the meta-analysis you have uh, mentioned already that came out on the 21st of February um, was met with the most astonishing media coverage on the 24th. The front page lead story of The Times, which is a serious newspaper, as most people will know, and on the front page of several other national newspapers, um, there were headlines such as a million more need antidepressants, or another headline was um, antidepressants definitely work, um, end of taboo against antidepressants. Every paper covered it with very little critique, if any. Um, None of the papers mentioned that none of the studies in the review went beyond eight weeks. None of the articles mentioned that uh, none of the studies in the review mentioned any adverse effects whatsoever. And no science correspondent or any journalist thought, I don't know if they'd even read the paper they were uh, glorifying with uh, with their praise. Um, If they had read it, they would have seen that anybody who was what they call treatment resistant were excluded from the studies. So this was a review of studies that already excluded people that they knew the drugs didn't work for. This is not science. One has to wonder what has happened to standards at the Lancet. I mean, that's a whole other issue. Um, But you would think that our leading newspapers, The Guardian, The Times, and so forth, would have a science correspondent who can read methodology or understand that this study was absolute scientific nonsense. Um, So I did have some concerns about the media. And then we had experts from the Royal College weighing in with comments like, this is the definitive um, answer um, to the question of whether antidepressants work. We had statements, as I said, made it into a headline in one case, that a million more people need antidepressants as a result of this study. Um, This is in a country, James, as you you will know, we have a population of 55 million people in England, adults, and we already have 65 million prescriptions of antidepressants, and it has increased by about 5% every year for the last 10 years. We currently have one in seven women and one in 13 men on antidepressants, And we have these experts um, saying that a million more people need to be on them. Also, we had repetitions in in various papers of what was obviously the spin from the media release given to them, that GPs no longer need to be squeamish about prescribing them. And finally, we can overcome the taboo that doctors feel about prescribing them. This is absolute nonsense. Hmm. But they all just... um, 
followed the whatever the media release told them to say and said it blindly. So that I just wanted to just comment on on how bad the science was in that study and and how uncritical sadly our, our media has become on 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 these issues mm-hmm. which is to come back to what you asked me why several people immediately um, commented and, and wrote letters to try and limit the damage done by by this um by the media coverage of this appalling study well i have to say that from my personal perspective reading the headlines about antidepressants that day was quite a depressing thing for someone in my position i can imagine i can imagine yeah And so this media frenzy about the Lancet study and the back and forth resulted in a letter to the Times, didn't it? Yes. Um, So some people on our side of the argument, so to speak, um, had pointed out some of the adverse effects, including withdrawal effects. And then the president um, of the Royal College of Psychiatrists here in England, Professor Wendy Byrne, and and as you say, the chair of their psychopharmacology committee, um, Professor David Baldwin, did a bizarre thing. They wrote categorically in the le- in a letter to the Times, um, and I quote: "For the vast majority of patients, any unpleasant symptoms experienced on discontinuing an antidepressants have resolved within two weeks of stopping treatment." And we saw that, and we just could not believe the level of irresponsibility and ignorance. That's quite a statement, isn't it? <laughs> for the va- I'm going to say it again. For the vast majority of patients, any unpleasant symptoms experienced on discontinuing antidepressants have resolved within two weeks of stopping treatment. And this from the two leading officials of the professional organization of the professional psychiatry here in England. That was an astonishingly inaccurate and dangerous statement to make. And as you mentioned already, John, that statement conflicted with their own survey that they had on the Royal College's website at the time. Absolutely. Um, And then um, we know that somebody wrote within 24 hours um, before the letter that we wrote that we're going to come on to. And um, immediately that um, document was removed from the Royal College's website. They haven't yet spotted another document they have up called antidepressants, which actually says the same thing. So presumably that one will be um, coming down <laughs> as soon as they listen to this podcast, I suppose. Anyway, so, I mean, that's that's quite cynical, isn't it, to, to say something um, so inaccurate and, and to have your own organization's website contradict that and then quickly remove that um, so that the public can't see the, the contradiction. Mm. Um, that's not really what you would expect from a professional medical organization, I don't think. And so, John, you and some colleagues reacted to that letter. So perhaps you could tell us next about the response. Yeah, we thought this was so extreme that, um, I mean, sometimes we, we look at these statements from the, from the Royal College or other psychiatrists and go, you know, just raise our eyes and move on. But um, this one was just too extreme and too dangerous because mm. uh, our concern was that people thinking of possibly stopping will think, oh, well, the worst that's going to happen is, is two weeks. I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll just throw them away stop taking them um, and we weren't prepared to allow that to happen without being challenged and and um, we also think it is actually bringing the profession of psychiatry and, and, and by implication all mental health professionals in, into disrepute to make these bad statements that are so inaccurate and, and unevidenced so nine of us including um, two or three psychiatrists, wrote to Professors Byrne and Baldwin, pointing out that this was um, inaccurate, uh, misleading, and dangerous, 
and asking them to retract and apologize and and or provide us with the evidence for their statement. Um, we gave them seven days to do that and said if um, if we hadn't had a satisfactory response, we were seriously considering lodging a formal complaint to a professional to their professional organization, which of course is is the Royal College. The arrogance of their response was equally mind-boggling. Uh, they did both respond. Um, neither felt the need to even comment on the request for it to be retracted. They just completely ignored that. And Professor Byrne, the president of the college, made no attempt to provide any information or any supporting evidence and, and just said it's important that we get along and um, this feels a bit hostile. Professor Baldwin, to his credit, did at least send us two research papers, neither of which was at all relevant to the question at hand, other than to um, remind us um, when we looked at the studies that these are drug company. They were both drug company-sponsored articles. He was the first author on both. So it helped us, uh, reminded us at least that he was in the pay of drug companies um, and has been for, for some time, which goes some way to explaining the, the bias and the lack of concern, I think. So neither of the papers he sent were relevant. So we now had no retraction and no supporting evidence within the seven-day period. So what has happened now is that a complaint, a formal complaint to the Royal College has been drafted and we're speaking now the evening before it will be submitted. So tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, um, the Royal College will receive a formal complaint from 28 people, including nine psychiatrists, six professors, and as you know, because you, you helped us with this part of it, James, 10, 10 people who are or have been on antidepressants and have experienced withdrawal effects, um, ranging from 11 months to 10 years. Mm. So that's um, quite a, an important combination of complainants, I think. So we have researchers, clinicians, both psychiatrists and psychologists and others, and people who have first-hand experience of how wildly inaccurate and irresponsible the two professors' statement was. The complaint itself, again, repeats the request for retraction and an apology. What they do in terms of disciplining the two individuals, we've said we're not too concerned about that. That's for them to make their own judgment. But what we are concerned about is a series of um, seven recommendations. I won't, I won't go through all of them. One is to, and I quote, to provide guidance or training for all Royal College spokespersons, including the current president, on one, the importance of ensuring that public statements are evidence-based, mm -hmm. and two, the limitations of relying on colleagues who are in receipt of payments from the pharmaceutical industry, such as Professor Baldwin. So we're trying to get across to them that um, the obvious, I suppose, that it, you, you cannot make unevidence-based statements to the public. And secondly, that, um, and this is less obvious to them, I think they think it's okay that people who receive money from the pharmaceutical industry are in positions of power and responsibility. I don't think they get that that's a problem. Now, the, but the question of evidence base is, of course, you know, there are differences of opinions about things, and, and that's, that's okay. Um, we're not expecting them, and we're not expecting that they're, they're going to agree with us on everything. We're trying to get across that some, there is such a thing as truth and, fal truth and falsehood mm. and evidence. Um, and you cannot make statements to the public um, that are just have no evidence to support them and so much evidence to contradict them. They really just have to stop 
doing that. The fact that it's their personal belief is neither here nor there. So, I mean, you shouldn't have to explain that to people in positions of responsibility like that. But apparently, apparently we do have to do that. It's a sad state of affairs that this needs to be done. But, John, speaking as someone who knows personally how gruelling and unpleasant withdrawal from these drugs can be, and how little acknowledgement there is within psychiatry of withdrawal effects and how people struggle, I want to applaud you and your colleagues for taking a stand, because challenging the Royal College is not something that people in my position can do. But for you and your colleagues to stand with us, I want you to know how grateful we all are for that. And I appreciate that, but it, it literally, I'm not just saying this to be polite but the power of having the 10 of you sign that with us um so that it's not just a you know a, a, a spat between psychologists and psychiatrists um even though we have nine psychiatrists sign to have people who have experienced what we're talking talking about i think together it's a very powerful combination because numbers and statistics are numbers and statistics and and people are people um and the two together um are rather powerful hopefully powerful enough to just slow these folk down a little bit and just get them to reflect and realize the uh, responsibility they have when they're in these positions and john if people out there listening to this want to support you and your colleagues efforts to get the facts and acknowledgement of the difficulties that people have that have been so clearly demonstrated by your own work on this how can they best support your efforts and get behind this complaint well there will be presumably the media this time will um, we'll pick it up and, and cover it. So there's always writing letters to the media and with sharing experience where people feel okay to do that because I, I realize that's not always necessarily safe to do. I think probably that would be the, the, the most important thing at, at the current time to, to engage where, where people feel safe to do so in the, in the public debate that, that goes on. Absolutely. And presumably, once the complaint is formally lodged, people can share the letter with colleagues and on social media, with news outlets, wherever really, because knowledge of this is so important, isn't it? Yes. And we have we have taken the somewhat unusual step of going public with this. Sometimes there's an argument that complaints should be dealt with privately, at least in the first instance. But we have um, in, informed them directly that we are um, going public with this and their response to our letter and because of the uh, because it's a matter of public interest and it's urgent we couldn't allow those statements to stand and nor did we want the public those members of the public who already knew how ridiculous that two-week statement was we didn't want them to think that no mental health professionals or university type people ever take any action we wanted to actually show that some people are concerned enough to stand up and make public statements so that's why we've gone public and um yes the letter the complaint will be made public on social media and in every way possible so um yes by all means distribute that to all all and sundry well, John, as I said, I'm so grateful to be part of this and so grateful that you and colleagues are willing to stand together. I think it's a really important step in starting to take the power back and to give people out there the information they need to make a fully informed choice about antidepressant drugs. Indeed. And I, I need to add two, two things. One, one of course, is, is what they call stating the bleeding obvious. But um, obviously, as a result of this sort of conversation, one definitely should not stop um, taking a medic medication um, quickly. I mean, that's obvious, I know, because that's the, the tone, by, uh, the, the content of what we've been talking about, but I always feel the need to, to say that. But secondly, I, w I want to, to say that there, uh, although we are being very critical of the College of Psychiatry, there are 
there are many psychiatrists out there doing an excellent job who do listen, who do understand these drugs uh, have very um, strong withdrawal effects and are standing prepared to listen and support people to come off them slowly and carefully. So I, I'm not convinced that these two professors we're complaining about are necessarily representative. Um, they just somehow seem to be in these positions of responsibility and um, and the college has got to... Um, have a long think about what they what they do about that. So I just need I just needed to say there are a lot of very good psychiatrists out there along ones alongside ones that um, have a bit of learning to do. Well, John, I sincerely hope that the college reacts with due care and attention to this complaint, and that it's the start of a truth and reconciliation process around what happens to people at the end of treatment, rather than just focusing on the start. Indeed, in fact, the very last recommendation we've made that is when is specifically that when all this has died down, they've decided what they want to do. Um, that three or four of them and three or four of the people who have complained sit down in an informal sort of roundtable meeting and talk about what we have in common and how we can move forward in providing good information and good support for people who do decide to, they want to, to come off. And, and in some ways, perhaps that might be the most important of all the recommendations because it's not pleasant to have a complaint made against you. Um, and there will be some bad feelings about it all. And in the end, hopefully... It may be a year from now, but hopefully we'll all be able to sit down and talk about what actually needs to happen in the interest of people who are trying to come off these drugs. That would be um, a really good outcome of all of this. It would. Thank you so much, John, for taking the time to talk about this today. You're welcome, James. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks a lot. Well, I'm really grateful to John for taking the time to explain what's happening. And if you want to read the complaint letter itself, it can be found on maddenamerica.com. And please share the letter with colleagues and with others on social media as much as you can. Thank you. So until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views and updates. 